Father, we, those words, Father, how deep your love for us. Father, they are so deep. Father, you've showed us love by coming and dying for us on the cross. And rising again three days later, Father, that is a deep love. Father, you've showed us grace in so many ways. And as, as we look at the life of Saul, how much he must have felt that love leading the life he did and being transformed. So, Father, I pray that you speak to us this morning in this, in this moment as we look at this encounter. Father, I pray that we aren't just hearers of the word, but we will be doers of it. Father, that you use my lips. Father, use my heart. Father, I pray that you help me communicate the words that we need to hear this morning and press upon us, Father, of how we can... Be world changers as we leave this place this morning. I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I just want to reiterate something that uh, Pastor Robbie said before we look at our passage this morning. Man up, uh, Pittsburgh. If uh, Last year we had a wonderful uh, contingent of men from Christ Church there. So I want to encourage you. Make sure you take the time for that. It is a powerful, powerful Saturday and uh, worth uh, taking the time to, uh, to register now and, and get involved. But uh, it's a great that we have the opportunity to uh, partner with Urban Impact and uh, uh, go to Man Up, things like that, to really help us increase our faith and discipleship. So I encourage you to sign up for that when you can. Well, you, you probably see on your uh, service sheets as well on the screen behind me the graphic, Face to Face with Jesus. You know, we've been in this series for a number of weeks now, various encounters that uh, Christ had with folks uh, throughout his time here on earth. And I don't know about you, but I've been particularly blessed because all these encounters are very unique, very different. And, and I've gotten something out of each and every one of them. And as we look at the life of Saul today, it's, it's interesting to note that as all the encounters that we've looked at, this is the one encounter that actually happens after Christ's death and resurrection. I think it should be a good testament to us that, that, that Christ still speaks to us today. That, that, that he, is still, he is still speaking to us. He's still alive. wants to have a relationship uh, with us. As he did with Saul on his uh, road to Damascus. You know, we look at Saul, we look at this, uh, this conversion. And I'm sure there's a lot of conversions out there to Christianity um, that, that are really miraculous. Um, Probably, most likely, some of you have had some miraculous conversion to Christianity, where you were living a certain way, going a certain direction, and then God grabs your attention somehow. It's, it's easy to look through history and see all those you know, famous conversions of the earlier you know, church fathers and, and John Wesley and, and all those folks who had just miraculous conversions. We look to today's age. You know, uh, John Guest will tell about his you know, miraculous conversion and, and you know, the steps that led up to Billy Graham's conversion. The modern day uh, you know, uh, musicians or athletes who have converted. And they're always... They're, they're always miraculous. They're all miraculous. But when we look at Saul, when we look at his life leading up to that, to now, they really fail in comparison. They really do. I mean, Saul, if you look at his life, understand what he was out to do, it is really miraculous. We know that Saul, first off, he was a Roman citizen. His, his father must have been a Roman citizen because he was a citizen by birth. He was also a Pharisee, so he was very into the law, very, you know, studying the law. And he, in a sense, was almost a modern-day terrorist. He was the one who was going out persecuting other Christians. 
And this is not actually the first encounter that we have of Saul. We actually hear about Saul uh, a few chapters earlier in Acts, Acts chapter 7, with, in con- connection with the stoning of Stephen. If you remember Stephen, Stephen was the first martyr of the faith. He was out preaching, and they dragged him out of the city, and they stoned him. In Acts chapter 7, verses 57, it says, As they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their voices, they all rushed at him, Stephen, dragged him out of the city, and began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. So there's Saul. There's our first encounter with Saul. He's at the, he's at the, the stoning of Stephen. He's the one holding the garments, if you will overlooking this, this spectacle of what's happening. And what you have to understand, too, is there was a lot of persecution, even after Stephen. And a lot of folks wanted to go as far away as they could from Jerusalem. And so they went to Damascus. Understand, Damascus is about 100 miles away. It's no small under, undertaking that Saul was going on. So what does that say? Is that Saul was consumed, wasn't he? He was consumed with following and persecuting Christians, the followers of the way. He, it says in our passage this morning, I encourage you if you have your Bibles, where, where in Acts 9 says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue of Damascus so that if he found any who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners. The way comes from Jesus' description as the, the way, the truth, and the life. So there he is on, on his road, on his path. He says, you know what, I'm going to go as far as I can to uh, my own path, my own direction. And I'm going to persecute the Christians. But then suddenly, no warning, no message that he was going to have a, a, a miraculous encounter. It was sudden. It was an interrupted surprise. Christ showed up on the road to Damascus. And we have a miraculous conversion. You know, it was Augustine who calls Paul's conversion the violent capture of a rebel will. Augustine looked at at Saul as almost like a, a wild wolf turning into a lamb. And you wonder how the, how could that be possible? How could somebody be on the path of destruction so bad and they convert to Christianity and start following Christ? In Paul's own words in First Timothy, he says, "I was shown mercy." Mercy showed up on the road. How? How? How did this conversion take place? First, through the contact. There was contact. We see in verse 3, it says, As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? You always wonder why God showed up at that time. Why did God take the time? Why didn't God show up? prior to Stephen? Why didn't God show up any other time in history in Saul's life? Why at that point? I've come to realize it was the moment of greatest impact. God doesn't always show up when we think he's going to show up. Surprises in life don't happen when we plan them. It still happens today, doesn't it? Tragic accidents. Loss. Loss of a job. Maybe a loss of a loved one. A sickness, bad news from the doctor. We don't plan these things, do we? They happen. It's sudden. Why does God do that? Because it's the moment of greatest impact. That's when we remember that he's in control. 
Saul had his life planned out ahead of me. I'm going this direction. I'm going to go as far away as I can to persecute the Christians. And Christ showed up. Moment of greatest impact and said, I've got a different direction for you, Saul. I'm in control. He says, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Isn't it, isn't it amazing that, that he knew his name? God knew Saul's name. He knows your name. He knows what you're going through. The trials, tough stuff. He knows your name. You wonder what happened to Saul on that road. I mean, he knew who Jesus was. He knew that he, he was a he knew that he he was a man who was teaching and he, he died, but he didn't believe that he was raised from the dead. And he was out persecuting those that were following him. Then all of a sudden he shows up. Can you imagine what goes through his mind? I can't imagine. You know, it reminded me of the when Christ was on the cross, if you remember, he's on the cross, and there's two thieves next to him. And they, at one point, were both mocking Christ. But one, at one point, changed. He said, you know, this, he's talking to Christ, and he says, you know, this man is innocent. He doesn't deserve to die. I deserve to die. What did he hear Christ say? He heard Christ say, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. All the people that were persecuting him. Something happened to that man on the cross when he stood before Christ. Something happens to us when we stay in the presence of Christ. And something happened to Saul on the road to Damascus. It was, it was a total rethinking of his life. It's interesting, though, that you know, Paul really recounts this famous conversion a couple other times in Acts. It actually comes up two or three times as he's talking with other folks. And it actually becomes clear that while this was a sudden encounter... And while we all have sudden encounters, that, that maybe God was working on Saul for some time. You know, later on in Acts, Paul is in front of Herod. And he's, he's gone through his missionary journeys. And he's on trial. And, and Herod asks, what do you want to say to you? What do, what do you have to say to yourself, for yourself in Acts 26? It says, we all fell to the ground, Saul recounting what happened. And I heard a voice say to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goods or the goads. When I read that, I thought, I don't know what a goad is. I don't know if anybody else knows what a goad is, but I didn't know what that meant. Uh, and I, I realized that unless I was a farmer with oxen, I probably wouldn't know what that is. So a goad is a tool, okay? A goad is a tool. And what it was, it was a tool that farmers used, and it was, it was, it was kind of blunt on one end and sharp at the other. And what, what, the, what the farmers would do is as they were plowing the oxen, they would prod them with this, this rounded end, but it oftentimes the ox would kick back. And every time the ox kicked back, the, the pointy end went into its leg harder. So in essence, the more the ox rebelled, the more it suffered. The more the ox rebelled, the more it suffered. A good, by definition, was really to provoke somebody or stimulate it to action. So what God's saying on the road, it's hard for you to kick against the goods. I'm already promoting you to action, more stimulating you to action. So the question is, is how? If this was a sudden encounter, how was God working on Saul all the way up to this time? How did God use a goad in his life? First off, quite likely, Saul had heard Jesus teach. Saul was around. He was in the same villages, the same towns. He heard Jesus' teaching. He had heard that. He heard him, and he saw him with the, his miracles that he did. It must have sunk in his mind. You know, there's many, maybe many of you here, some of you here, who've been coming to church for some time. And you heard us as preachers talk about 
Christ's life. You've heard us talking about these encounters with Christ, and you go, I wonder what that's all about. The curiosity arises. I wonder what that's all about. Secondly, God used a goat in his life. Saul witnessed how Stephen died, didn't he? He was there. He was holding Stephen's garments or the other garments of the other people while they were stoning him. Stephen, how did Stephen die? Stephen died in peace, didn't he? They're dragging him out. They're stoning him. He doesn't, he doesn't curse him back. He doesn't recount his faith. He just dies in peace. You know what Stephen says? The same thing that Christ said on the cross. He says, Lord, don't hold this sin against them. Oh. He saw how Stephen died. He saw the peace that Stephen had. Some of you, maybe you've been coming to church, you're going through some tough times. You see other people going through some tough times. You go, you know, how do they have this peace in their life? How do they have it all together? I got to tell you, first off, as Christians, we don't have it all together, but we do know that God's in control. That's how God was working on Saul's life. He was goading him in the right direction, prodding him, stimulating him to action, so that when that moment came on the road to Damascus, that sudden encounter, it was the right moment, the right time, had the greatest amount of impact. C.S. Lewis talked about God's work in Saul's life as a divine chess player, systematically, patiently waiting until he cornered and maneuvered his opponent until he concedes checkmate. My question for you this morning, is God working on you? Is God working on you? Are you wondering what this is all about, these encounters with Christ? You wonder what the peace that we Christians have in life, is God working on you? Because I can tell you right now, it's the best thing in the world that you can have that too, that relationship with him. Not only was there contact with Saul, but there was conversion, wasn't there? Acts 9, 4, he fell to the ground, heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I'm Jesus, whom you're persecuting. And he turns blind and goes back and really rethinks his life. Gets baptized and he's out preaching again. You know, it's interesting that Saul had the head knowledge of Jesus, didn't he? He knew who Christ was, but that didn't make him a Christian. He knew who Christ was. He was going out persecuting those following the way. The conversion didn't happen until it moved from the head to the heart. It says in 1 Timothy, Christ Jesus came into the world. This is Paul talking, of whom I am the worst, but for that very reason, I was what? Shown mercy. So that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus, might be displayed his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. It's as simple as that. Believing in him. Understanding he died for you. Confessing your sins and believing him. Making the Lord of your life. Not only does it go from head knowledge, the contact, to the conversion, but it goes into action as well. There's a third step. Again, Paul re-talking about this whole uh, encounter later. He's talking to a crowd this time. Again, we get some more information. Acts 22, 9. It says, My companions saw the light. They did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked, Get up, the Lord said, and go to, Mas- to Damascus. The key verse there is, What shall I do, Lord? Not only did was there a conversion, but he made him the Lord of his life. What shall I do, Lord? It's about making him the Lord of our lives. It's a point of greatest impact. That's how the conversion took place. A contact, a conversion. Making him the Lord of his life. 
Then after he got up, Acts back on our passage this morning, Acts 9, 8, Saul got up from the ground, and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind. He didn't eat or drink anything. And I, I got to wonder, why did God make him blind? I mean, he had this miraculous conversion. Why did God make him blind? For three days. It was once said that God left Paul for... Saul, for a few days with scales on his eyes so thick that the only direction he could look was inside himself. And what he saw, he didn't like. He saw himself for what he really was, to use his own words, the worst of sinners, a legalist, a killjoy, a dispenser of justice who weighed salvation on a pan scale. Someone else said Jesus should have finished him on the road, should have left him for the buzzards. He should have sent him to hell, but he didn't. He sent him to the lost. God used Saul so mightily, no one could have ever imagined. In the end, Paul called it grace. Who would have ever thought that Saul, a terrorist, if you will, would come to know Christ? To be used so mightily. Some of you may be thinking, you know what, there's no way on earth God could ever, ever use me. I've done too many wrong things, Jerry. I've done too many bad things in life. I, I don't have skills or abilities to, to, really, to really be effective for Christ. My encouragement is for you to look at the life of Saul in this encounter and say, you know what? God used him so mightily. So the application to Saul, first off, is have you ever had time to do some self-examination of your own? Saul had three days to look inside himself. Have you ever had time to look inside yourself? Maybe you've never done as many bad things as Saul. Maybe you've never committed any heinous crime. But you know you're far from God. And he's not in the direction that he wants you to go. You don't have a relationship with him. You're not living the way you want to live. You don't have any peace at all. Have you ever had time to do some self-examination? Secondly, have you ever realized the separation that you have from God and the severity of your sin? Sin separates us from God. We confess it, but he is faithful, he is just, and forgives us. So the third thing is, have you ever asked for for forgiveness and committed to following him? Have you ever made him the Lord of your life? It's as simple as saying, God, forgive me. I know I'm a sinner. I know you came to die for me. Please forgive me. I want to make you the Lord of my life. Is that you this morning? Is God goading you this morning? Who would have ever thought that Saul would have done so many things. Saul changed his name to Paul and became a mighty person for the Lord. But that's not the only point to this encounter. See, there's much more to this that we often overlook. There's more to this story than that's even in your service sheets this morning. It's the next verse, verses 10 through 22. The encounter of Ananias. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision. Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come, place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, answered Ananias, answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on his name, on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. 
Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother, Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized. And after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. And at once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once he began to preach in the synagogues. And Ananias is one of those people that has often been called the forgotten hero of the faith. He's the one who really came along with Saul and showed him the next steps. He often remains behind the scenes. He's not talked about much. There are so many people who have led others to Christ that you'll never know their names. So many people who kind of live in the shadow, out of the limelight. But it was their obedience to God that really made them giants in the faith. See, it was Ananias who ignored his fears, who stepped out into obedience. You may never have thought about it by now, at this point. You may never have thought about it, but if it wasn't for Ananias, Saul would still be in that room, wouldn't he? He would still be blind. He would still be confused. He would still be a mess there. Bewildered, unable to move or see. If it wasn't for Ananias stepping out in faith, Saul would have never became Paul. Paul would have never have been such a, a testimony to so many people. See, the encounter here is not only with Saul, but Ananias had an encounter too, didn't he? It says in verse 9, Damascus, a man named, a disciple named Ananias, the Lord called for me in a vision. Yes, Lord, he answered. Go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man named Tarsus. What do we learn from Ananias? What do we learn from this? We can learn from Saul. What do we learn from Ananias? First, we learn that the nudge to tell others about the Lord is always a part of his leading. Ananias was listening for the Lord. The Lord said, hey, go to, go to Straight Street. There's a guy named Saul there. Always comes from God. Some of us have had that where we're sitting next to somebody or somebody asks us a question and it's a nudge and we go, is this really from God? Are they really asking me about God? Are they really at their lowest point for me to come in, the moment of greatest impact and for me to show them the love of Christ? Is that from God? I can tell you right now, absolutely yes. That nudging is always a part of God's leading. So are you listening? Are you looking for those opportunities when friends or family are going through some tough times, when somebody in the office asks a question, are you looking for those, those, those situations and circumstances where the leading's from God? Because I can guarantee those interruptions always are from the Lord. And they're sudden, aren't they? It's not when we're going door to door to witness that they come. Secondly, the determination that we learn from Ananias to talk about the Lord is we'll always increase our faith. Consider it pure joy, it says in James, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because the testing will produce perseverance. You know, Ananias knew that Saul was a terrorist. He knew that this would be a very uncomfortable situation. He knew that it actually was potentially dangerous. He knew that. That's why he says, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man, all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. He has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all that call in your name. I mean, who can fault Ananias' reluctance? Who can fault him? It was a scary situation. It was not in his comfort zone to go out there and talk to Saul. 
I don't think it would have been in our comfort zone to go out and talk to Saul. It says in verse 15, the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen vessel to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Notice something about this. Notice what God didn't say. He never said that Saul was converted. He never said that I already showed up to Saul and he's had a transformation. He never said that, hey, listen, he's been blind for three days and I've, he's already been working and all you've got to do is take the next step. He never said that. All he said was, go, he's my chosen vessel. I mean, you must have, you've got to put yourself in Ananias' shoes. Like, what was going through his head when he's walking down the street? You go, this is nuts. This is crazy. I've written this guy off a long time ago. Too far gone. No way. No way he's going to turn around now. But he didn't. He went. And think about what he saw when he walked into the room. This, this man, this, this terrorist that everybody knew was terrorizing the kingdom. And there he is sitting in a corner, kind of hunched over, dehydrated because he hasn't drank anything, famished because he hasn't eaten anything. And I bet you his sword and spear were still sitting in the corner. And you think, Ananias must have been thinking, this is, this is nuts. If he goes for his sword or spear right now, I am history. But he must have been thinking, boy, if he turns to God, this moment will be. See, he realizes once he gets in the house that God's already done the work. All that remains is for Ananias to show Saul the next step. That's why in Acts 17, it says, placing his hands, he says, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road. How amazing that the first words that Saul heard was brother. Not you evil man, but brother. Talk about the arms of grace. Brother. Immediately, something like scales from Saul's eyes fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up, was baptized. After taking some food, he gained his strength. He spent several days with the disciples. And once he began to preach in the synagogues. Can you imagine what was going through his head? Tears rolling down his eyes, as he can see. First person he sees is a, is a fellow believer, brother. God used Paul to touch so many. God used Ananias to touch Paul. Has God given you a similar assignment? Is the question this morning. Who's the Saul in your life this morning? I was talking to a mother um, a while back after church, and she was telling me about her, her son. Her son has gotten into some legal trouble. He's probably going to go to jail. She said, could you pray for my son? I said, sure. After our prayer, she said, you know what, Jared, I, I believe in him. He's, he's, a, he's a good kid. God's going to use him so mightily when he gets out of prison. Another Saul, another Ananias counseling with a couple a few months back and I know that the, the husband had a major drinking problem. Stress beyond belief. Drink all the time. Furthest from God. Wife didn't even know if he knew the Lord. Come home, yelled at his kids, yelled at his wife. Asked the wife, what do you think? She goes, I, I believe in him. I believe in my husband. I know God's going to use him mightily. And I know he put me here as an encouragement to him. So we keep praying. Another Saul. Another Ananias. There was a, 
man in conjunction with our church who I know he, once he uh, converted to Christianity, his, went into ministry, his uh, mother was an atheist and pretty much wrote him off. Totally wrote him off. Didn't want to talk to him, didn't want to have any connection with him. And he told me, you know, I pray for her every day. Every day. And every chance I have, I tell her about Christ, and every time I do, she blows me off. She was on her deathbed a few months back, and I know that he got on a plane and went out there. I was going to be by her side to tell her about Christ one more time. Another Saul. Another Ananias. I know that there are, was a family of five. Parents did not have much. They had very little. But what they did have is they, they, they had a relationship with Christ, the parents did. And what they couldn't give their kids in tangible things, they knew that they needed to get them to have a relationship with God. So they talked to them all the time about the relationship with God, every opportunity they had. And they all became believers. And I'm standing before you today. Another Saul. They're my Ananias. So the question is for you this morning is who's your Saul? Who's the Saul in your life? Who is it that, that everybody else has written off? Too old, too far gone, forget it. Never going to turn. Don't even bother. Who's the Saul in your life? Don't resist the thoughts to go talk to them about Christ. Don't. Who's the Saul in your life? Secondly, is are you determined to tell them about Christ? Are you determined? Right after this first service, there was, a, there was a woman bawling. I'm not going to mention names, but I know that she uh, this spoke to her because she was going to go speak to some of her friends about Christ this coming week. And she was terrified, trembling. What if I don't have the right words to say? What if they disown me? I said... What if God's already been working on them and all you are used is to show them the next steps? Who's the Saul in your life? Are you determined to reach out to them and tell them about Christ? Finally, one author said of this, of course, no one believed in people more than Jesus did. He saw something in Peter worth developing, in the adulterous woman worth forgiving, and in John worth harnessing. He saw something in the thief on the cross and what he saw was worth saving. And in the life of the wide-eyed, bloodthirsty extremist, he saw an apostle of grace. He believed in Saul, but he believed in Saul through Ananias. Don't give up on your Saul. When others write them off, give them another chance. Stay strong. Call him brother. Call her sister. Tell your Saul about Jesus and pray. And remember this, church. God never sends you where he hasn't already been. By the time you reach your Saul, Who knows what you'll find? Let's pray. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the lessons that we can learn from Saul, Father, and that your grace, your love for him, Father, reached out on that road against all odds, Father. There's so many of us that have had that. Father, there may be some in here this morning who you've been working on. Father, I pray that they come to know you. Father, it's a simple prayer. That's you this morning. It's a simple prayer by praying, you know, Father, I understand that I have sinned. Understand that you've come and died for me. I ask that you forgive me and be the Lord of my life. Thank you for leading me. Father, be with those that you've been working on for some time.
are speaking to them this morning. And Father, thank you for Ananias and his willingness to step out in faith against all odds and reach out to those that other people have probably already written off. So Father, help us to do the same. Impress upon us those that we need to reach out and tell about you and show your love. I ask that you be with us. And I ask all this in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.